Jim, a happy day. Reopening Delaware, a special presentation of The Rick Jensen Show on WDEL. Join us now as we navigate the future of our state through and beyond the COVID-19 crisis. Here's Rick Jensen. Most of us have considered the vaccines to be the golden ticket. We get vaccinated, we reopen. Back to life. Kind of like the way I'm living. But wait, then you see on WDEL News, positive tests for 70 Delawareans considered fully vaccinated. Wait, wait a second, but you got the vaccination, right? You're two weeks out after your second shot from Pfizer or Moderna. You're 28 days out from the J&J. You're not, now people are kind of freaking out, going like, well, wait a second. So let's get to the bottom of this. Dr. Sandy Gibney is a straight shooter. She's been on uh, this program for well over a year. And uh, I just feel very, very lucky to, to know you. And I appreciate the fact that you're so knowledgeable. You're always in touch with the latest and the greatest coming from the CDC, as well as uh, local public health. So, uh, Sandra, thanks for being on. It is my own pleasure, Rick. And you are in touch as well. And so um, I want to be there with you to share some things with your listeners as to what's going on as best I can. Um, but um I think what you're referring to is what we're calling this post-vaccination breakthrough infection. People testing positive or even getting sick um, with COVID after they've been inoculated for COVID. And, you know, the, not, the definition of inoculated and vaccinated uh, fully would be two weeks after whatever the last version of uh, a vaccine for you would be. So if it was... Um, Pfizer, it'd be two weeks after your second Pfizer. If it was Moderna, two weeks after that. If it was J&J, it would be one um, vaccine, but two weeks after that vaccine. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, thank you for cleaning up because I had read 28 days. It's good to know it's still two weeks after J&J. Yeah, so it, it can be up to two weeks, maybe even three. But that's the important piece that I want to reiterate here is that these breakthrough infections in about 5,800 cases, which is a very tiny percentage of the 66 million people that have been vaccinated. And, um, you know, some of the data is not fully complete as to what's happening here. But um, what we do know is that there's not a single explanation of why the virus in rare cases is not neutralized by vaccine-induced immune response. And we believe that more likely it is a weak immune response to the vaccine. In other words, it's not the vaccine, it's the patient. Older individuals um, seem to not mount a strong immune response when vaccinated. Um, We don't think that there's any current shift or change in the efficacy of the vaccine. Um, Some people will postulate that there's a mutated virus that can invade the immunity-induced vaccination um, but right now, there's a lack of data to, to, to match a specific infection or strain of the virus with this breakthrough. But, but what's going to happen eventually is that we're going to be able to look at the genomic sequence of the folks that are getting infected. In other words, I take their nasal swab and I send it to the CDC and, um, because they're a breakthrough. And then I look and see what strain that is that they got, how they got sick after getting vaccinated. And um, those that are much smarter than me are postulating that that it's not going to be some horrible variant, but more likely it's going to be the individual's inadequate response to the vaccine. And like I 
I told you, sometimes we may be talking about ordering antibody testing, blood mm-hmm. testing, yeah. to see whether a single individual who had a breakthrough infection um, ended up not building antibodies to it. Um, and, and I tell people, like, that's not a reason to not get the vaccine. You wouldn't stop wearing your seatbelt because you heard someone was killed um, that was wearing a seatbelt um, and then died. So this, we still, the vaccine is still our seatbelt. Um, and, and the goal in mass vaccination for us and others is basically to create a collective barrier um, against the spread of the virus by vaccinating as many people as we can. And that's called herd immunity. Um, and, you know, and so I think that's the important thing. The takeaway is maybe we don't have fully the answers why some of these people are having breakthrough infections, but we suspect that it's the immune response of that individual as opposed to a breakthrough to the validity or efficacy of the vaccine itself. You know, I I think that's something that we forget, and I'm guilty of that as well. 94% efficacy means, at best, 6% of those people will still get COVID. 90% with the Moderna, that's me. That means 10% are likely to still get COVID. So that does put it in perspective. Plus the fact that you just said of 66 million people vaccinated, 5,800 have still gotten COVID after being fully vaccinated. Thanks. Uh, you do put that in perspective. Yeah, and I, I, I definitely think that um, even more underscored the importance of understanding that those numbers are such a small percentage that the overall greater good, and for me, you know, um, having vaccinated Every time someone gets vaccinated, not only protects them, but it protects you. One more thing. You mentioned the variants. Um, let's talk about that as well. For example, you know, Brazil is uh, having uh, a horrible time with people that uh, are getting COVID-19. Um, I, I guess I, I don't even know the reason why, but some people are saying, well, perhaps it's the variants. Let's start from the beginning here, though. The B117, you know, 1.1.7, Um I've read that being described as um, the Brazilian variant as well as the U.K. Uh, variant. W- which is it, or is it both? What is it? Yeah, so we call it the U.K. variant. And, and, and in general, um, we feel that that may be a little bit more virulent, a strain. Um, in fact, um, Pfizer uh, now is looking at a third booster shot. Um, that would come probably 12 months after vaccination, and that um, the whole idea there is to suppress perhaps a pool of people that might be susceptible to the virus. And um, for reasons we don't fully understand yet, it seems as if that particular strain of virus um, has the ability to be a little bit more invasive and and to be able to spread more quickly um, between people. So again, we haven't going back and done um, in-depth genomic surveillance to see just what ge- genomic sequencing is critical to knowing the strain of the virus and, and how that causes infection. But as more people, um, you know, get tested, um, we're, we're going to see that. Yeah, I thought um, it was good so- news when I, I was reading. You confirm this or, or explain it uh, and make sure I get it right. Uh, that uh, the Moderna vaccine seems to have good efficacy against this variant, the the 117. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know about Pfizer. What have you learned about this? So the only thing that we're a little concerned about Pfizer is that uh, it may, uh, for the South African variant, uh, there seems to be some early evidence that it may 
um, evade the Pfizer vaccine to some extent. But none of these things should dissuade us from, um, you know, getting vaccinated. And as I mentioned before, the um, Pfizer vaccine is, is now being looked at for emergency use authorization in teenagers 12 through 15. So yet another opportunity. Right now, the CDC reports that 28.1% of our U.S. adults are fully vaccinated. Yeah. And 61% of them are over 60, 61% of our over 65s are vaccinated. So, um, you know, the variants are going to keep happening. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, like any virus worth its salt is going to make genomic shifts every two weeks, and some will be favorable for the virus to replicate and invade. And so anything that is favorable, it will replicate those things that the shifts and changes are not favorable, it will discard and move on. So, you know, again, the, the biggest uh, situation here is the more people we vaccinate, the less chance variants and mutations will have to practice on people and figure out how to evade them. Oh, I, I know. And, and we, we all know that, you know, we get vaccinated. Just get, yes, absolutely. But uh, everything else in the world is also about expectations. Just uh, kind of wondering what the scientists have learned so far uh, about the variants and the various vaccines. For example, J&J versus Moderna versus Pfizer, how each one of them is uh, is fending off um, the South African variant, the UK variant, and now this one out of Brazil called the P1, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're going to find that people are going to, um, you know, want to try to shop for that. And um, oh, I see. Like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. Think, so the, you, don't even try. Don't even try to shop for that because, quite honestly, yeah. these variants are different, and there either will or won't be a booster for them separately. Right. And that's my point. You know, get the vaccine you're able to get and encourage other people to get the vaccine that they can get. And then don't worry about so much of the variants because the variants are not going to have a chance to really evade us if enough of us, you know, get vaccinated. That's what we did with polio. We got enough people vaccinated. We didn't give it a looky-loo to see how to mess around with its genome um, to get more of us infected. So, um, you know, the longer it has a look at us, the longer it has a chance to see how to evade us, and that happens when people aren't vaccinated, the better it gets, the cleverer it gets at altering its genomic sequence so that it gets in. So, you know, there will be variants as long as there are viruses. Um, but again, the way to, like, completely address that is to get the population to get vaccinated, vaccinated. Yeah. No, I understand. And, and viruses do this. It's uh, the difference between microevolution and macroevolution. It's a microevolutionary process, uh, kind of like the, how lizards' have, eyes have changed over the uh, millennia. That's the way viruses actually work in a much faster period of time is they, they adapt, uh, not like they're sentient beings or anything, but that's it's the reaction. That's what it does. Hey, um, the CDC advisory committee is going to reconvene in like seven to ten days looking at risk refinement data, things like that. What does that actually mean to us and what should we expect from that meeting? Yep. So uh, on Wednesday, the CDC advisory and uh, committee for immune practices had this emergency meeting, which they decided to pause the J&J Um, And they wanted to extend it because they felt they wanted to get a better look at the risk benefit and refine the data. What they really want to know is what are the risk factors? Is it age? Is it gender that are at play to so they can actually make an informed decision? Even some of those folks have said, well, you know, it's all women. 
So can we just use it in older folks and men until we figure this out? Um, and overwhelmingly said, no, we actually need to know this. What's happening is very unique. There's a certain clot that's being formed, which is different than what people think um, a DDT in their leg, um, a blood clot in their leg, and that's very common. We see that in the ER. I'll see people with pulmonary embolism and caught in their leg after travel or surgery or whatnot. This is a unique clot that they're studying here. And again, six or seven cases of something called CVFC, cerebral venous sinus thrombosis with thrombocytopenia. It's a mouthful, but basically there's sinuses in our brain that drain the blood from our brain. They are called the cerebral venous sinus. This is what's clotting. Um, and along with it, believe it or not, you have you can have clotting when you have low platelets. And the platelets are the little sticky things in our blood that help our blood to clot. But in this particular instance, typically around eight days after the vaccine, but can be up to two to three weeks after the vaccine, the body in these individuals uniquely starts clotting in that venous system in their brain. And at the same time, um, the platelets can get low. So you can be clotting and bleeding at the same time. Um, so the CD, the CDC and this committee wants to really know what are the risk factors for this to happen. It's very unique. Is what is the incidence of it? And um, as as days come by, all the people that were vaccinated last week with J and J, they still have a little time to see if more cases evolve over the next two weeks, right? So. Those um, those kinds of things need to be at least addressed before we go out and I have the J&J &J in my hand to, to vaccinate. The symptoms are quite unique for this. It's not like you get a swollen red leg um, like you would in a, in a blood clot. The symptoms are because this is a sinus in your brain where blood doesn't drain, pressure builds up, and you get headaches, bad, bad headaches, perhaps confusion, change in mental status, right? Um, and in these six cases that they reviewed, they, they thought perhaps that this CVST with thrombocytopenia um, was unique to, um, to that group. And it was found both in the J&J and AstraZeneca vaccines to cause this. They found it in white females of the age 18 to 48, but those females didn't have a whole lot of common risk factors. The median age, meaning as many as above and below, was 33. And the symptoms usually started at a median time of eight days after vaccination. There were no pregnant or postpartum uh, women that were involved in this. So they were trying to look, like, what are their common factors? Three were obese, one had hypertension, one had asthma. But they really can't put a handle um, on why these particular women got that. And All right, so, not, so let me interrupt yeah. and, and ask this question then, because, you know, as lay people, we, we look from the outside. We don't have this, you know, in, intense knowledge that you do. And and I'm thinking about, okay, so the Pfizer had to be at subarctic temperatures, plus it had a powder element. So uh, you would you would actually mix that in with there, and there's uh, nothing new uh, about that sort of procedure for vaccinators. And the Moderna, it transports in uh, much, uh, much easier uh, temperatures to maintain and and such, and each of them has uh, has two vaccines. Now we're looking at the the J and J, for example, and we're seeing the small number of people who are getting these uh, these you know very unusual clots. And I'm wondering, might it be something in the way that it is produced that requires it to be uh, super refrigerated or not? And might that be a part of the process that is, could also be part of this little problem? 
there's a lot of people postulating as why, but I think the commonality that uh, the thread that I can see is that the, the Pfizer and the Moderna were both this messenger RNA genomically um, created uh, vector, if you will, or mm-hmm. um, um, source. However, AstraZeneca and J&J was the uh, adenovirus um, that killed adenovirus with the spike protein um, attached to it. So we're wondering whether or not, um, you know, the viral vector um, versus messenger RNA can can play a role. And it seems as if Moderna and Pfizer um, are not exhibiting um, this type of unique and strange um, clotting that can occur um, after vaccination. And um, Johnson Johnson using this viral vector um, did. It doesn't mean that viral vector vaccines are problematic. This is not something that we see with viral vector vaccines, which I told you Ebola is one, mm-hmm. we use polio. So it's not unique to say, oh, all ones that use inactivated viruses could be causing this. But more importantly, those that use the more specific type of messenger RNA to kind of hijack the temporary production in your cells of the spike protein seems to have evaded this problem. So, um, you know, if you got Pfizer and you got Moderna, you, you know, you might say, okay, I'm probably okay because it's not been found um, in people that got that. Um, but again, there's there's going to be a risk management approach towards this that eventually there's going to be a fact sheet to inform people of the risk. Um, but again, they really want to cast a wider net to look for why this happened. Um, and make sure that there's not other clots that occur in these people, not just in the brain, which is where these clots occurred, was in the brain, and make sure there's not other ones that occur, say, perhaps in the veins of the liver um, and other draining systems. Um, and so that's why I think, importantly, um, we're paused, and I'm paused, um, and waiting to see. Again, remember, what's the percentage, you know, 6.6 million? It's very, very low. Right. Um, but but but, again, but but still, you know, we we hear these things, and we we hear the stories, we read the stories, and when the percentage is low, and we think, I don't want to be that, and just the same, you know, honest, honestly, and even though the the percentages are very low, and and that's me. I mean, I'm I'm the guy who was saying this a year ago, a year ago, when it was very unpopular to be, uh, I would say, feverishly in favor of a vaccine, and I was, and I have been uh, from the very very beginning, even when it was a very unpopular stance. So there are many of us who are vaccinated, want to be vaccinated, uh, and and still we look at this wondering, all right, what does it mean uh, for me and my family? And I appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, you lay it out for us in such a way that we can truly understand it. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, well, this committee is going to reconvene in seven to ten days and give us their informed uh, opinion. But I, I agree with you, and, you know, sometimes I'll use this joke with patients and say, what's the difference between minor surgery and major surgery? If it happens to me, uh, if it happens to you, it's minor surgery. If it happens to me, it's major surgery, right? (laughs) So you don't want to be that person, right? And I get that. And it's very, very rare. But people are concerned because they don't want to be that person, right? Don't be that guy. Exactly. But but again, that's why this has been really paused to say, okay, let's really make sure that in the greater good that, um, you know, 
nobody's going to be that guy. Right. Um, so there's a pause. Again, there's a pause of the J and J. And as for the numbers of people who are fully vaccinated uh, getting COVID, that is to be expected. You know, with the Pfizer, there's still six percent of people uh, estimated that can get COVID, and with the Moderna, ten percent. So good stuff. Anything? Any last words, Sandy? We got to get going here. No. No, not really. I'm just going to say get the vaccine you can get. And it's not going to stop anything from that. You know, I'm going out right now with Moderna and Pfizer. Um, I'll be out there this weekend and others as well. So the vaccination is still important. Don't be scared off to get vaccinated. Um, Don't use this as an opportunity to say, see, I told you I'm not going to get it because now things are happening horrible. Don't use that excuse um, because we're not going to see that. And the only way we're going to uh, beat COVID is to vaccinate that H-E-L-L out of it so no one can't, he can't live in anybody. I can't believe she's just a, that, that, almost like H-E-double hockey sticks. <laughs> That's funny. You're too old. You remember that. You're old enough to remember that. I do. Oh, I, do. I do. You weren't allowed to swear in school. Yeah. H-E-double hockey sticks. Alright, thanks Sandy. Seriously, always All appreciate right. you, having you on and every time you're on, people say podcasted, podcasted, so I'm certainly going to podcast this. Have a great weekend, you serial vaccinator. Yes, sir. I will do. Bye. Dr. Sandra Gibney, back after this. This has been a special presentation of Reopening Delaware. Stay here for continuing coverage on The Rick Jensen Show on 1150 AM and 1017 FM WDEL.